Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Good Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I'm looking forward to the conversation we're going to have this afternoon. We've had lots of conversations about cannabis and I'm, I'm reading more and more that we really should be calling it cannabis, not marijuana. Marijuana apparently historically has been more of a derogatory term about the weed. So this day forward, I'm going to be calling it cannabis. And we've talked a lot about cannabis because I think it deserves a lot of attention. Things are going to change in our world come July 1st of next year. And we've had so many different discussions about it. The one that we always seem to go back to is your concern about safety on the road. Once cannabis is legalized, then what's going to happen with drivers? Last week, of course, we had Brian Mason, a transportation minister, saying that the province is adding and making some changes to the Highway Safety Traffic Act so that we have some actual limits when it comes to blood alcohol, not alcohol, blood THC levels, blood plasma THC levels. But I think every time we hear politicians try to get in front of this bus, there are still so many more questions. And I I wanted to bring on Paul Armentano. He is the deputy director of NORML, N-O-R-M-L, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. I guess I get to say it there. Also serves as a faculty member at Oaksterdam University. Hello, Paul. Hi, it's good to be here. And the reason I'm looking forward to this conversation is because you've done lots of research and you can answer my questions, my listeners' questions. Of course, you can always text 403-974-8255 or call with your questions. But Paul, as you're in the States looking at it after a number of states have legalized cannabis or marijuana there. And so I thought this is a great opportunity to find out what we can expect here in Canada. When it comes to smoking marijuana and driving, what are some of the laws as far as impairment go that you have seen, Paul? Well, in the United States, of course, it is illegal to drive under the influence of any substance, whether it be a licit substance like alcohol or an illicit substance. So changing the legal status of marijuana for adult users does not somehow give these same consumers a pass when it comes to the traffic safety laws. If someone in the United States is using, say, a legal prescription drug like a benzodiazepine or a sleep aid and is involved in a traffic collision or accident because they were under the influence of that legally prescribed drug, They have broken the traffic safety laws in this country. Marijuana is treated no differently in the jurisdictions that legally regulate either the medical use or the adult use of cannabis. And I'm glad that was the clarification. You know, driving under the influence of any drug, illegal or legal, and you're going to have some ramifications. But I think the problem is we, as we move towards legalizing it, is how do we prove that someone is now impaired because of marijuana? 
Um, you know, we talk about roadside sobriety tests, but then they say we've got to have something that's going to hold up in court. So just like a blood alcohol test, they're now talking about the the nanograms in, in a milliliter of blood. And I just want to know, is that what we're also seeing in some states then? Do they have specific uh, ranges of nanograms that someone could be considered impaired? Well, let's be clear. We should not conflate the detection of certain substances with a belief that someone, therefore, is per Mm. se impaired by those substances. We know that many substances, again, opioids, benzodiazepines, sleep aids, can alter one's judgment, can impair their ability to drive. We know that people under the influence of those substances are involved in traffic accidents. Simply because we do not have a per se standard like we have for alcohol does not mean that we do not prosecute those individuals when they have broken the law. The reason we have per se standards for alcohol and not for any of these other substances is because alcohol is unique. There is very little variability in the way alcohol is metabolized from person to person, and there is a positive correlation between higher levels of blood alcohol and lower levels of psychomotor performance. We do not have those same levels of correlation with the components in marijuana, just like we don't have those levels of correlation with opioids and benzodiazepines and other drugs that can impair performance. That's why we have blood alcohol standards, but we don't have similar standards for these other substances. Mm. And and I'm glad you said that because even as these things are rolling out, we've often heard that uh, the marketing should be just like tobacco cigarettes or the um, we should treat the driving just like we treat alcohol. And I've said in the past, I don't think you should be treating it the same because there are so many differences. And I got to pick up on a couple of things. First of all, per se, um, I know it's a legal term, but it's how do you define what per se is? Because I just want to make sure my listeners are on the same page. Sure. So a per se law, which your listeners would be familiar with with regard to alcohol, says it is a violation of the law to operate a motor vehicle if somebody has a blood alcohol level above a certain limit. In those instances, the state does not have to establish that the person was impaired. They don't have to establish that they were driving drunk. Mm. They have broken the law simply by driving the vehicle with a blood level above this specific threshold. In cases where someone is considered to be driving impaired, but their blood level is below that threshold, in that case, the state has a different legal standard to meet. They're going to have to provide tangible, demonstrable evidence that the person recently consumed alcohol and that that consumption made them impaired to the degree that they presented a traffic safety threat. So the per se threshold sets up a different legal standard. In one standard, the state has to present evidence of impairment. In the other standard, they do not. Well, and so that goes right back to uh, what I was saying with our provincial government here and our federal government, because they are looking at this this range of two nanograms to five nanograms, it appears. And yeah. that's 
my concern is, do we have evidence that just because you've got two nanograms of THC no, that don't. you're impaired? Those are standards of convenience because, like you said earlier, there is this notion that we have to treat cannabis precisely like we treat alcohol, and this is an instance where we should not be treating it that way. No less than the United States National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is very clear when they say we should not have per se limits for THC in blood because it is inadvisable to try to determine recency of use or impairment of performance from a TC, a, T, a level of THC in the blood. No less than the American Automobile Association in this country publicly opposes the use of per se mm. levels for THC because they're arbitrary and totally unscientific. So do we throw out that per se then and just go with uh, the same idea of the roadside sobriety? You're impaired. How do we determine impairment for someone who has been smoking marijuana? Sure, that's a great question. And of course, I would imagine that driving under the influence of cannabis is already a traffic safety violation in Canada just like it has always been in the United States. The reality is, is Canada has one of the highest percentages of adult use of cannabis in the Western world. It also, for now several decades, has regulated the medical use of cannabis. This is not a new or a forthcoming mm -hmm. problem. This has been an issue that Canada has lived with for decades and arguably has dealt with in a satisfactory manner. Mm. It already addresses driving under the influence of drugs like cannabis, just like the United States already addresses this issue. Police in the United States have multiple uh, different opportunities to provide evidence in these cases. They collect evidence at the scene. They conduct field sobriety tests on the side of the road. They administer toxicological tests, either breath, blood, urine, or saliva. They institute what are known as drug recognition officers who are specially trained police that go through specific coursework to determine if someone is under the influence of a drug other than alcohol. And when they present this totality of data in court, when they have probable cause to make arrest, over 80% of the time in the United States, they win those cases today. Good point. All right, Paul, hold on here. I want to take a break because you touched on the fact that when it comes to alcohol, it seems that blood alcohol level, no matter what type of a user you are, it's going to affect your impairment the same way. It's a little bit different, though, when it comes to cannabis. 403-974-8255. Paul Armentano is the Deputy Director of Normal. That's the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. We're back after this. And I sometimes think Canadians and Albertans are more confused because I'm getting lots of texts from people just saying, wait, already, don't we already have laws for impaired driving? Marijuana just needs to be legalized, period. We don't have roadside cocaine tests. It's an impairment test. 403-974-8255. Understanding how the world is going to look, especially when it comes to the legalization of marijuana. Paul Armentano, Deputy Director of Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Paul, what are we finding then 
Oh, maybe I should back up. Do we, because marijuana hasn't been legal before, especially in this country, we often hear that we don't have as much research as we would like. Now that we're going to be legalizing it, maybe we'll have even more studies that will give us a clearer idea of the impact marijuana, the effects it's having on our blood and our body. Well, that's a bit of a red herring. If one goes to PubMed, which is the repository in the United States for all peer-reviewed scientific literature, and conducts a keyword search using the word marijuana, you'll find more than 26,500 peer-reviewed scientific papers specific to marijuana and its effects on health and society. About 15,000 of those papers have been published just within the last decade. That is a far greater volume of scientific literature than we have dedicated to uh, substances like acetaminophen or ibuprofen. So we actually know quite a bit about marijuana. We particularly know a lot about the way marijuana impacts psychomotor performance. Again, in this country, the United States National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has paid for multiple gold standard long-term studies assessing whether people under the influence of cannabis are more likely or less likely to be involved in traffic accidents compared to drivers that are either sober or that have other drugs or alcohol in their system. And what they have found time and time again that is that the odds ratio or the potential elevated risk that someone who is THC positive will be in a motor vehicle accident compared to someone who has absolutely no drugs in their system uh, is nominal at best. It's far lower than the odds ratio we see associated with uh, the use of alcohol, and it's in fact far lower than the risk of accident we see associated with things like distracted driving, tuning the radio, eating while driving, having multiple passengers in the car. In fact, the risk associated with a THC-positive driver is almost equal to the crash risk we see associated with pregnant women, and we're certainly not going to take them off the road. So then go back to the idea of how marijuana can affect someone who has been a longtime user differently than someone who is a new user. What does the research show? Yeah, that's a very important question because we know that individuals that are more habitual users tend to become tolerant to some of the potentially psychomotor impairing effects of cannabis. So just like someone who's fairly naive to alcohol will be more dramatically impacted by consuming even small quantities of alcohol, someone who is fairly naive to cannabis is going to experience a more dramatic effect when they use cannabis as compared to someone who is a more habitual user. Ditto for someone consuming cannabis via an edible product as opposed to inhaling cannabis. Edible products are associated with a very different, uh, they are metabolized very differently by the body. The way that metabolization works tends to lead to a greater impairing or more dysphoric effect. Ironically, edibles do not spike blood THC levels the way inhaling cannabis does. So the per se standard that's being proposed in Canada 
would actually not net individuals consuming edible products, even though they may arguably be more under the influence of cannabis than someone that has inhaled cannabis. Mm. And one of the real take-home messages is that we see alcohol and cannabis, when used conjunctively, tend to have an additive adverse effect on driving. And that really is the number one message that should be out there. If someone is going to drive, they should never mix alcohol and marijuana. I'm going to try to get a phone call in here. Uh, Jerry, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much, Angie. I'm a law enforcement officer here in Alberta. I just want you to know, as far as we're concerned and my colleagues, we pull people over. We don't ask questions. You've been smoking pot. You've been drinking. Mm. You're over. You're over. You take it to court. That'll be your day uh, to shine in the courtroom and say, hey, I was smoking pot. I wasn't drinking. Uh, We're kind of stuck. You know what I'm saying? We're kind of stuck. And uh, we don't ask questions. We pull people over. Sir, you know, we, we believe you're impaired, and we ask them to blow if they're over. We charge them. They go to court, and they have their day in court like any other Canadian in this country. But you know what? I think this is being amplified to the extreme. We don't ask people if they've been smoking pot or if they've been prescribed drugs. You're over, you're over. And that's the end of the day. And Jerry, we, wait a minute. When, so, you know, the one thing you say, you're over, you're over. You're, you're pulling someone over because you're seeing signs of impairment in their driving, correct? Correct. Indicias of impairment, slurred speech, bloodshot eyes. Uh, we, don't, we don't get into the discussion, have you been smoking right. marijuana? That's not for us to ask at this point. But when you say you so you blow and you're over, but right now you're they won't be blowing to be over the THC, will they? No, right. So here's here's what's going to happen, and I'll tell you right now, everybody's blowing this out of proportion. (laughs) Speaking of blowing, if you are stopped, if you are stopped because we believe you are impaired, we are not as officers going to ask you, have you been consuming? marijuana or any illegal substance or prescribed drugs that's not our business it's up to the courts to decide whether you are impaired by drug or alcohol jerry jerry i'm I'm up against a news break can i put you on hold because there's a couple of things i need to know though because when that case goes to court and and paul you mentioned this as well your collection of evidence what is the evidence you're going to present in order to have that conviction can i put you on hold jerry Absolutely. Okay, let's put Jerry on hold. Um, and then, Paul, do you have to go? I can stay. Can you uh, stay? We, we've got a bit of a five-minute news break here, but I'd love to uh, have this conversation go on. And I'm glad Jerry called because I think that's uh, going to answer a lot of questions that my listeners have as well. 403-974-8255. We're talking about cannabis or marijuana-influenced driving after this. Welcome back. 403-974-8255 is the number to call or text. Unfortunately, Jerry, who is a, an officer here in Alberta, wasn't able to stay on the line. Jerry, if you're still listening and call, can call back, that would be great because I've got more questions, especially how we deal with it here in Alberta right now. Paul Armentano, though, is the Deputy Director of Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Paul, I wanted to slip this in because this is a PSA that a medical marijuana marijuana producer has just come out with and I think it's trying to get ahead of all the PSAs on don't drive high I want to get your thoughts on this because it's called consequence strains an anti-high driving PSA 
Each of these strains is designed to educate users on the consequences of driving high. Getting caught and being charged with a DUI, getting into an accident and potentially suffering from life-changing injuries, or worse, killing another person and spending the rest of your life in prison. I think there's a public perception that marijuana, because it's sort of a natural product, that it doesn't have the same sorts of negative effects associated with alcohol use during driving. That is a, a dangerous perception. Yeah, take a look at the label, the, the name, read the piece on the back. <laughs> Wait, whiplash starts mellow and then hits you hard. This uh, bitter bud has been known to strike the perfect balance of misery and devastation. Courtroom Kush is an emotional joyride that doesn't end well. I don't want any of this stuff. I'm gonna have to say a hard no. <laughs> you're putting your own life at risk, for one. And of course, you're putting the lives of other drivers on the road at risk as well. You're potentially facing criminal charges. Paul, this is from a legal medical marijuana producer, and already there's a lot of criticism about this PSA because it seems to continue the fear-mongering fear rather, of any marijuana is going to impair your driving capabilities. Well, again... We should be sending the message that we don't want people driving impaired, regardless of the substance that may be impairing. And again, that goes for illicit and illicit substances. And of course, the traffic safety laws already today make that clear. Uh, my only concern with that PSA was the comparison between drunk driving and the way one operates when they're under the influence of marijuana. Those two substances are very different substances. They belong in different families of drugs. They impact very different parts of the brain. And the manifestations of impairment on driving are very different. That's why we see much higher risk of accident associated with individuals who have higher blood alcohol levels than we ever see with individuals who are under the influence of marijuana. We know through several studies where individuals are provided marijuana and or alcohol and asked to drive on either a closed course or on a simulator, that people under the influence of alcohol tend to drive in a more reckless and aggressive manner. They increase their speed, while those individuals under the influence of cannabis tend to decrease their speed, leave more headway between their vehicle and the vehicle in front of them. They also tend to weave more than they did when they were sober, and they have decreased reaction time. So again, that's not saying that it's safe to drive under the influence of marijuana, but it's making the point that these two substances affect the way a person drives very differently. It's unfortunate that Jerry couldn't hang on because the the comment he said, though, um, you'll have your day in court. If they blow over, they'll have their day in court. But this is we're talking about cannabis here. So there isn't if you blew, you're not going to your THC isn't showing up in that. We don't have a breathalyzer test yet for cannabis, do we? No, and of course, even if we did, the information it would provide us would be relatively meaningless. Yeah. Just like right now, detecting THC in the blood is relatively meaningless. Habitual users of cannabis will have detectable levels of THC in their blood for well over a week. That does not mean they're impaired to drive. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I'm getting texts from people who say at work, I drug tested uh, two weeks ago. I failed because I was over the 50 nanogram standard, but hadn't smoked for four days before the test. I was by no means impaired, yet I was suspended for having it in my system. How can you test for something that can be in your system for a month or longer? Any answer to that one, Paul? Well, again, the caller or or the listener raises a very good point. Workplace drug testing is no different. What we're doing is we're conflating detection tests with the ability to actually determine if someone is impaired. If we want to discern whether someone is under the influence of a substance, then we have to have that person engage in various levels of performance Mm -hmm. in order to determine if their performance is impaired. Drug detection tests do not have the ability to do that. So what we should be doing and what the Canadian government ought to be doing is putting resources into validating different types of roadside performance tests and making sure those tests have the ability to accurately and sensitively discern between individuals who are under the influence of cannabis and those individuals who are not. Paul, good conversation. Thanks. Thank you for having me, Angela. Paul Armentano, he is with Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. I want to take a break. I've got lots of texts to get to, phone calls as well, 403-974-8255. He really has me rethinking the whole idea of this two nanograms to five nanograms because we don't have the evidence to show that that is tied to impairment. Good conversation. Let's continue it. 403-974-8255, the number to call or text. And uh, I'm throwing it out as... Should we have the per se's, the point two, not point two nanograms to five nanograms that would end up having you charged with impairment or driving under the influence? Um, you know, one person here says, I am never getting on the road again once marijuana is legalized. Yes, it's been out there in the past, but it was illegal. Once it's legal and people like your guest fill people's brains with the idea that impairment is different and not as bad, it will be, please work for me, it will be a free-for-all Uh, Yeah, it'll be a free-for-all on the road. I've spoken with people who swear they are better drivers while on marijuana. I want to be clear, though. I do not think my guest at all talked about it's okay to drive while you're impaired. He was saying it over and over again that it is um, against the law to drive under the influence of any drug. And he was just saying that, you know, what we're doing right now with impairment Apply it the same with marijuana. But the the whole idea of this per se, the two nanograms to five nanograms, he said, does not prove that someone is impaired. You've got to look at other tests, whether it be that field sobriety test. You've got to look at other ways of determining someone's impairment because THC in the blood is different than alcohol in the blood. 403-974-8255. Hello, Dan. Hello, how you doing? I'm uh, doing well. What are your thoughts on this one? Oh, it is me. Okay. <laughs> I, I just thought I don't like the way people knock marijuana. It's been helping me out even when I do well, when I did drive. It helps my body out because I've got bad arthritis. Mm. 
And yes, it helps me. It helps my mind think clearly. It helps me eat. It helps me. It helps everything I do. That's why I've been smoking marijuana for years. And the only reason the government and anybody else wants to put up a bully about it is because, well, do they walk? Uh, I walk down the street. I smell exhaust, and it makes me choke and puke. <laughs> I can smell a joint, and it enhances me. It makes me happy. And I think clearer. I can eat healthy and all that stuff. So I don't know why. If you want a beef, why don't you beef ball dandelions or something like that? Dan, would you say, Dan, would you say, so you don't drive anymore? No, I... I gave it up because uh, there were too many impaired people driving and drinking. <laughs> but as a driver, when you were smoking cannabis, would you ever have considered yourself impaired? No way. Okay. No, no, I was always alert and I had a good appetite. It helped me concentrate, clear my mind, and I was nice and relaxed. I didn't let nothing bother me, and I had a straight mind forward. That's why... Uh, I enjoy pot. I still oh. enjoy pot to this day because right. it helps enhance my life. Thanks, Dan. 403-974-8255. Doesn't drive anymore, but when he did, he said that he actually was um, a fine driver. And And I would like to think that any officer is going to be pulling you over because you're showing signs of impairment. Here's my concern, though. When we have the stop checks and the so that they can pull anyone over and randomly say, all right, um, you're showing signs of impairment, I would hope that those officers are still saying maybe they're looking at what they look at when it comes to driving under the influence. I no longer want to just say driving while under the influence of marijuana, just driving while under the influence of alcohol. 403-974-8255. Hi, Eric. Hey, Angel. You know, there has to be some kind of limit. I mean, we've all known individuals who are alcoholics that function perfectly well. But uh, regardless of that, I don't want somebody that is consumed a certain quantity of alcohol or, or really any other impairing uh, narcotic on the road because you don't know how that's going to react, as your uh, previous uh, guest had said. And the second thing is that uh, so-called police officer that you've had, I don't think that was a cop. I mean, I've I've been pulled over, and the first thing that you're asked if they smell any alcohol is, have you had anything to drink? So I I think that guy was a bogus caller. (laughs) Um, Eric, okay, thanks. And we do our best to trust our listeners. Maybe Jerry wasn't an officer, although I think he was... He was sounding like he was, but uh, I'll be the last to judge that. Although even Eric saying, you know, with alcohol, we've got to have certain levels because then you know there's an impairment there. But I think that's what Paul, my guest, was saying. We can't keep saying, well, with alcohol, this is how we deal with impairment. So it must be similar to marijuana. We we should just have this this level. And we know that if it's two nanograms to five nanograms, well, then you're going to be impaired. But it's not the same. And they say that's what the research is showing. Uh, another one here says, so do people, cops, politicians, really think that this is something new? People have been driving stone forever. Do they think that the roads are free of stone drivers because it's illegal now? Shouldn't they already have laws against driving stone? And and they do. We have, as we say, we've got your 
It's against the law to drive under the influence, uh, to drive under the influence of any type of drug, legal or not. But I think the question is, how are we proving impairment? And if we are going with this range, if I say it enough, we'll start, it'll just become part of our lexicon point. Two or two nanograms, I always want to throw in a point because it's 0.08 that we've said so long with blood alcohol. But I think that's that's where I the rubber's going to hit the road. And I bet you that's where we're going to have a lot of court challenges as well. That you've got to show me the proof that if I am in the three nanogram range that I am impaired. I think you've got to look at, as Paul was saying, better resources into showing what impairment is and not just by this level of THC in your blood. And Jerry, quote unquote, our officer, <laughs> I think he was an officer. Um, but if, if he's saying, you're, you know, we don't ask you what you've been doing, you blow and you, you go to court, well... That's the problem. There, There isn't a breathalyzer. We've got the blood. And if even now the people who have studied a lot more than you or I have studied saying that there is not a direct correlation between that and impairment and, and the other idea that if you've been a longtime user versus someone who has just started, then it's the THC is going to be in your blood um, uh, react differently. So I, I, I think there are just way too many questions here. Uh, someone says, are police trained and authorized to draw blood on the roadside now? Well, now I know they're, you're able to blow into the breathalyzer and, and you might have to inform me if you've ever been in that experience when there is the, the check stop and do they, when you go into the bus, is there that chance that you actually could also they could draw blood from you. I I wouldn't know for sure. Thankfully, I wouldn't know for sure. Uh, tobacco smokers also get a buzz from their smoke. So technically, they're under the effects of drugs while driving. Uh, and they do it while they're driving. <laughs> yeah, technically, I guess you could. It's been a long time since I've ever even, even tried smoking a cigarette. But when I did in my early years in high school, I'd always get a bit of a headache. So maybe I had a bit of a, a buzz there as well. And of course, you probably would with nicotine. But if it's to the point where you're impaired is what we're talking about here. Uh, lots of texts here. 403-974-8255. Oh, back to Jerry the cop. Someone saying, I think the cop meant they'll charge you first for assuming you're under the influence. Then you'll have your day in court to prove your innocence. I I think if, if they're just going to charge you and send you to court, you're probably going to have a pretty good chance of having that charge thrown out. I think uh, back to the whole idea of the body of evidence, what are the officers using to determine that you are impaired when it comes to alcohol? And I think, as we know, it might be easier to prove impairment with alcohol than when it comes to cannabis. Someone did catch me. I was trying to say cannabis all the time, and then his organization had marijuana in the title, so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll interchange cannabis and marijuana. Someone also said, Angie, are you doing politically correct cannabis, marijuana? <laughs> I wasn't. Let's see here. Yeah, you don't prove innocence. You prove guilt. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, 
uh, Lara says, cannabis is a state of mind. People ingest cannabis to impair themselves from pain and coping by medicating with cannabis. People also medicate and become impaired by from alcohol. And, and that's true. Um, um, I think any type of a drug, and we know that cannabis is a drug, alcohol is a drug, we probably people take it too. Uh, impair themselves to avoid from pain, coping. I think also maybe just to relax. It just depends how far you go. And then if you're going over it, well, it's not for relaxing anymore. Let's try to get a couple of more calls in here. Hi, Dave. Hi, Angela. I think that the standard, uh, you know, the question that people asking isn't making much sense. If we put it into another context, we only have one... Um, speed one mile per hour at which you're speeding now if i'm driving a ferrari and my car is safer i'm still speeding if i'm over 100 kilometers okay if i'm if i'm in the you know 1969 uh datsun that's falling apart it's still the same limit and it's the same here right. we have to understand that everybody is in uh, that that there are many 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 drivers with many conditions on the road and because we're offering the standard for everybody, we've got to pick a number and go with it. You may not be actually impaired at two nanograms, but if that's the number, that's when the charge comes in. Yeah, but but there isn't, you don't do nanograms of THC when you're talking about someone who's done a sleep aid, right? We don't have a standard for that. No, but so, the last time I was, when I went into the uh, hospital for procedure and they gave me an agent to help the procedure law, yeah. she said to me, you cannot drive, you're mm-hmm. legally impaired. And, and so, again, it was the legal drug, but uh, if I'm impaired by, uh, um, I don't know, too many aspirin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, right? I agree, Dave. But I think when they determine your impairment, that's looking at how you operate. That's the judge for impairment. But that, And I think that would still be the same for cannabis, that if you had the field sobriety test, well, you are impaired. I think the problem that people are having and I'm having right now is that whole the nanograms of THC doesn't necessarily say or prove that you're impaired. Dave, I'm out of time, but um, good point. I'm glad we squeezed that phone call in. We've got news coming up next.